Act Five of Crossings, a Fairy Play by Walter de la Mare. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Act Five Aunt Susan and the Fairy Queen. Time, Christmas Eve. Scene The Parlor at Crossings, lit fitfully by a log fire and a few tall wax candles. The walls are festooned with bunches and garlands of holly, ivy, box, and mistletoe. A table stands in the left corner at the back of the room. On this are arranged a few old china dishes of fruit and cakes. The tiny goblets and the fairy wine gleam and sparkle on the spinet. The candlestick maker, masked and with a wreath of ivy entwined about his hat, is seated at a stool before the fire, tuning his fiddle. Tony squats on a stool beside him, glum and motionless, staring into the flames. Emily enters from the right, carrying a dish of oranges and a lighted taper in a long taper holder. She is dressed country fashion for a party, her finery protected beneath an apron many sizes too large for her. Her colorless hair is tied in two lean plaits with big bows of black ribbon. She solemnly arranges the oranges, leaning her head now this side, now that, to admire the effect. Ah, oh, Mr. Candlestick Maker, you may twangle your tunesome strings, but this be a sad and doleful Christmas Eve for a merry-making. Poor little Miss Anne. Tis findings keepings with they pisky folk, I'm afeard. Like the little Lady Jane Medler, which was wished and witched away by the fairies hundreds and hundreds of years agone. Mother have told me the tale many a time. She stands and looks at him. She were kind of comical in the head, tis said, when she did come back, and was buried an old woman in Crossing's churchyard. Candlestick maker tunes on. Never fear, pretty maid. The child will come back. All in good time. Ah, good time is tomorrow come never, Mr. Candlestick Maker. The young ladies are wonderful cast down. Miss Sally, she am pale and wan as a shatter by moonlight. And Mr. Tony there, he eats no more than would keep a sparrow in feather. But a party's a party, Mr. Candlestick Maker, and there's no unaskin them that's asked. And, Mr. Candlestick Maker. Yes, my dear. That young lady's kind regards for he passes the love of woman they do. If she didn't take to herself your comfort about the little lost lamb, she'd droop away into her tomb. I hope if so be you ain't being kind to kill. Kind to make alive, Emily. They be dressed for the party in gowns so plain as a corpse's smock. My hair ribbons are black, you'll be noticing. Enter Frances in her Bayswater frock, right side out. Josephine resembling, in her white muslin frock, a moss rose. And Polly Budge, the butcher's small daughter. Polly Budge is a shy, fat, apple-cheeked child who gapes round-eyed at the candles and is mothered patronizingly by Emily. Francis to Josephine. We went calling and calling for miles through the woods. Dismally dark and cold, Josephine. The further we went, the thicker fell the snow. Not a sound else. We shouldn't be having our party at all, my dear, if Mr. Candlestick Maker wasn't sure Nan would come back. It's like a story out of Grimm. To the candlestick maker. You really mean, Mr. Candlestick Maker, that all they wanted was a lock of her hair. I, for the queen's crowning. That sleek gold hue it must be, and given willingly. There's heath dancing and feasting all England over tonight, and a full moon like glass. They are friendly enough to children, the little people in their own inhuman fashion, haunting between time and space, 
wisping and gathering with the moon, and a prey to music. Let well alone. Come, Josephine, it's half-past seven already, and nobody here but you. Let them stay away, then. Who cares? So long as you are you. <laughs> I don't think Arabella Minch will come. When Aunt Julie called at the hall this afternoon, Lady Minch was sitting with her feet in mustard and water and her wig off. Uncle Jeremy said she would be a charming old thing if only we could see her as she sees herself. Some of them won't come, Francis, because you didn't put your address on the invitations. At least, there was none on mine. Josephine! But there, it's the same old lesson. If Aunt Bayswater had had her way, I should never have known how stupid I am. Being called stupid only makes you stubborn and conceited. She goes to the windows and peers between the curtains. <sighs> it's useless to wait and worry. Whatever happens, Polly and Emily must have a happy evening. Now, Emily, what game shall it be? Off with your apron. I see you under the mistletoe, Polly. Come, Tony, you weren't to blame. Tony stoops closer over the fire. The candlestick maker stripes up the air of, Here we go round the mulberry bush. The children form a ring and begin dolefully to sing in circle. There is no spirit in them. Suddenly the prolonged pealing of a bell resounds to the house. Quiet falls, broken only by the infinitesimal scraping of the candlestick maker. The children pause, startled, and eye one another. Sally hastily enters, wan and distrait, in her Bayswater clothes. She is followed by two fairies, cloaked to the heels in broad dazzlework of rich, dark colors, and fantastically disguised as earth children. Their faces are milk-white, their clear cheeks carmen, their lips vermilion, their eyebrows arched high above their eyes. They have the menacing shyness of fierce wild things astray in dangerous company. Sally, to Francis. It's cold and lonely out there, France, and the moon a blaze of mockery. They are queer children. I asked their names. They only muttered, and edged and scrambled into the house like bats. Who can they be? The fairies, having lifted their hands in secret salutation to the candlestick maker, begin, with immobile faces and strange rhythmic gestures, to sidle and gape and angle with the children. Again and again the faraway house bell clangs into the room, and fairies, in similar disguise, flock in one after another. The music loudens. It is as if a tempest of wind encircled the house. The ring widens. The beat of feet and strings grows ever more furious, until a wild throng of unbidden guests are in the dusky room, like bees. The children stand mute, lost between alarm and astonishment at the whirling and droning and clamor of strings, bells and drumming, which shakes to the foundations the emptiness of the old and lonely house. Suddenly, with a shrill ululation, the ring of fairies splits into two equal crescents. They abase themselves in the dust. In this dead hush, the queen enters, clustered in by her bodyguard. Her face is fierce, crystalline, and not of a human beauty, and her head is crowned with a crown of undiscovered gems, surmounted at its apex with a tuft of Anne's bright human hair. The children shrink back from this bedazzlement, while Sally stands trembling and alone in her ludicrous Bayswater gown, confronting the queen. Fairies, in a clamor like that of bells volleying. The queen, as if in a strange tongue, I come to crossings, mademoiselle. Is a stranger a welcome guest? 
welcome indeed lady and these mamazella sally breathlessly all are welcome the fairies rise and encircle sally and the queen with their dancing gradually accelerating their paces until they break again to left and right and once more abase themselves The queen gently spreads her hands upon the air, as a bird in a tropical forest its plumes, and the heavy curtains concealing the windows of the room softly drift asunder, revealing in snowbound stillness the garden and woods. A trance of light dwells over them, in which gleamings, as of precious stones and minute crescents of fire, come and go. Again the fairies wheel about their queen, and again prostrate themselves in obeisance. At the queen's gesture, the wall which faces the children now seems to disintegrate, to fade out of being before their eyes, disclosing a long table laden with vast platters and pyramids of exotic cakes, fruits, flowers, and gigaws. In the midst of its splendor rises an immense flower-like fruit, flame-shaped as if of glass, yet intertransparent. An almost unendurable radiance fills the air. Emily, chirping shrilly to Polly, Looky, Polly Budge, bathe those big eyes a yorn in that bright sight. To Francis, Oh, miss, tis the day of judgment it is. Polly, in a small, high, piping voice. Emily, shinin', shinin', shinin'. Suddenly overcome with wonder and delight, she bursts into tears and hides her eyes in Emily's skirts. No, no, mademoiselle. The feast is prepared. The guests are ready. I come not again. One wish shall be thine for the asking. Beauty incomparable, gold incomputable. A wit to make witchcraft, a tongue to breathe charms. The pursuit of thy feet, the desire of thy streng, dark, dwelling, dreaming human eyes. Speak. It is thine. Sally, bowing herself, scarcely able to utter the words. Oh, but I have only one wish, only one, my sister, just to have her back. The fairies twirl, crooning, each in her place. Their shrill drone rises like that of a hive at noonday, then suddenly ceases. At the queen's gesture, the strange fruit seems to flake away in petals of light, discovering at last the figure of Anne crouched up within it, fast asleep her doll still clutched in her arm. The fairies in their secret places have dressed her after their own fashion in bird's feathers, of gold, white, and gray, and have painted her cheeks and lips to resemble their own. Her hair is bobbed and entwined with a wreath of frosty elf flowers. Nan! Looky, Polly Budge, her cheeks do shine like midsummer, like full moontide. Polly only sinks her head further into concealment. Nan! Nan! Sally lifts the child down from the table. Anne, peering up out of her dreams. Sally, is that you, Sally? Anne's dreamed and dreamed and dreamed. Far, far, dark snow. And singing. And oh, Sally, Anne's eyes did dazzle and... With intense secrecy. They did cut off Anne's hair with knives of gold. She draws her hand over her face with a sigh. <sighs> and please, Sally... Do you forgive me? Smoothing the cheek pressed close to her own. And Sally, isn't it time to wind up all the clocks again? Quick, they are going to dance. 
Francis, Sally, and Tony rush out in transport, and presently return in their inside out, and gay shawls, scarves, and ribbons. The children fall upon the feast. A ballet. The garden is a flock with fairies. Lanterns dip and blaze in and beneath the snow-laden trees. Now enter, on foot or mounted on strange beasts, from the woods to make obedience to their queen, fairies that have traveled to her crowning from all regions of the world. Arabia, Cathay, Kamachatka, Leonese, the furthest Hebrides, Tuli Greenland, Java, the Sahara, Peru, and from the sea's remotest limitations. At the height of these revelings and dancings, the raucous strains of good Christian men rejoice, burst in to the accompaniment of French horn, bassoon, etc. The waits are coming to crossings, and are caroling with their lanthorns in the snow on the other side of the house. At the word Christian, the fairies cry and cluster in consternation round their queen, encircling her, tweeting with small cries like alarmed birds, as they troop and scatter into the moonlight. When the first verse of the carol has been sung to the end, all is still and deserted. Only the vacant moonlight hazes the garden. Fruit, feast, and the will-o'-the-wisp lights have vanished as they came. A cock crows. Then enter from within Mr. Budge, Mr. Honeyman, and Mr. Welcome in masks and dominoes, their heads garlanded with holly, box, and mistletoe respectively. Mr. Budge comes forward, and in his best official voice, reads from a paper as if it were a royal proclamation. Mr. Budge and Mr. Honeyman, of this parish being in their right minds and of full age, God willing, Deo Valente, present their compliments to Miss Sarah Wildersham, and it being a custom in the butchering and baking trade, retail, to take fifty percentipede off all orders off the premises, and never to make no charge whatsoever for first week customers beg to present their gent account of thirteen shillings and one half penny for future settlement funds permitting at miss sarah wildersham's leisure with the compliments of the season and god bless you merry young ladies let nothing you dismay Hurrah! Hurrah! Mr. Budge returns to his fellows, the candlestick maker joins them, and the four mummers stand in a row and sing. We be mummers to the row, row. holly box and mistletoe, ivy pranked in moonshine hall, we be mummers one and four, leaf sharp pricked and berry red, rare the fragrance box do shed, creep, creep from stone to stone, kiss mistletoe and so be gone. So, so be, be gone. gone. Wassail sing, Noel, Noel. Jocund tidings we montel. Christmas feast bring merry cheer. And we wish you all a happy, a happy, 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 happy. We wish you all a happy new year. Between the second and third stanzas of this mumming song, a ring within is heard and vigorously repeated. No one heeds it. During the last line of the last stanza, Mr. Widge's cab drives up and comes to a halt outside the French windows. Mr. Wittersham and Aunt Agatha alight from the cab and enter. A pause. Then Sally, Francis, Tony, and Anne run to their father with cries of rapture and drag him away to the fire. The mummers remain mum. Aunt Agatha, in dead black, her countenance deleted by a thick black veil, and with little crossings only cab for background, stands immobile. Mr. Wittersham... 
slowly unwrapping his scarf and taking off his gloves. Well, my dears, here I am. And, and here is your dear aunt. How do you do, aunt? Aunt, aunt, She turns her head and surveys him through her veil. A protracted pause. Mr. Wittersham, uneasily. Well, children, you see your days of trial are over. But we are a little, um, gay, are we not? Uh, eh, Agatha? Aunt Agatha lifts her veil. I was speculating, Charles, how long I was to be ignored. Gay? It is not precisely the term I should have chosen. Mr. Wittersham, meekly. Nor I chose it, Agatha. In the silence that follows, Sally pours out rather unsteadily two little goblets of the fairy wine. Daddy, dearest, you must be frozen, frozen. Anne, balancing the other tiny goblet with extreme caution between finger and thumb, carries it off to Miss Wittersham. Mr. Wittersham, screwing in his eyeglass. What's this, eh? He lifts the glass to the light and cautiously sniffs at the contents. Homemade, Sally? He tastes it. Hmm. Gently bemused. Hmm. Hmm. He sinks into a reverie. Anne, to Miss Wittersham, nodding her head as if telling a prodigious secret. Aunt Bayswater, Anne been to Fairyland. Anne's hair chopped off. Please take little tiny sip. Please. Miss Wittersham angrily waves Anne aside, who thereupon carries off the little glass to the cabman. Mr. Widgery likes fairy wine. Charles, enough of this buffoonery. Do you realize that your children have gone stark, staring mad? Look at that! Uh, look at that! And at that indescribable guy! I'm ashamed of you, Sarah, and of you, Francis, and uh, of... I see you, Anthony, skulking behind your sisters. Mr. Wittersham, hazily endeavoring to repress an inward acceleration. Well, Agatha, things are not quite perhaps as, uh, in fact, I anticipated. And yet, you know, the air is very invigorating, and an extraordinary sweet uh, smell. But I, uh, yes, of course, uh, Susan's conditions. The fact is, Sally, that is, what your dear aunt and I wish to know is, are you happier than when you left, uh, Baywater? Happier, father. I'm simply beside myself with happiness. And I. And I. Anne, looking over her shoulder as if to test the inmost truth of the phrase. Anne sighed herself. She feels the breath of the night wind beneath her bobbed hair. Licious cold neck. Josephine, blushing furiously. As for me, Mr. Wildersham, if you don't mind my saying so, I've never been so happy in my life. Aunt Agatha, grimly. I'm charmed to hear it. I, Charles, I have no doubt of, of the jollification, the high jinks, as I believe they are called, but was mere happiness Susan's only condition? Mr. Wittersham, meekly. No, Agatha, it was not. I must tell you, Sally, of a little innocent uh, stratagem, my dear. 
your aunt susan thought that if you were all left high and dry entirely alone i mean for a fortnight the experience might be a rather severe test of your um, prudence he fumbles in his pockets and produces a slip of paper i ventured agatha to make a note of your sagacious comments on the proposal at the time perhaps it would be as well to read them an admirable idea listen then sally mark my words charles the children will simply run wild they will do no lessons they will overeat and oversleep they will masquerade in all the colors of the rainbow sarah will run up enormous bills with the tradespeople her good heart as you call it will welcome every beggar and footpad that comes whining at the door frances will read every trashy novel she can lay her hands on anthony will be out at all hours of the day and night he will smoke burn and burrow they will keep open house crossings will become a byword for miles around as for anne she'll be kidnapped by vagrants or go skulking off into the woods and be lost that's my prediction well my poor child what have you say to all that sally miserably but bravely only father that every single word of it came true every word absolutely yes daddy and when sally wasn't looking that anne wicked thing ran away with the fairies they chopped off anne's hair with knives of gold she is interrupted by an immense yawn <sighs> daddy have tiny lickle drop more fairy wine she sits down in an armchair in a corner and like the dormouse at once falls asleep mr wittersham gulpingly not uh, wiser than sally oh but father we have all made the most dreadful mistakes and and all that and we simply long to go back to bayswater just so that so that we may come to crossings again wiser with unplumbable solemnity i should just about think i am tony as if on the scaffold and i francis as if volunteering for the forlorn hope <sighs> and i but please daddy dear mayn't we talk it all over to-morrow mayn't we to have you back oh i am so happy we never knew how much we loved you until you were gone she takes his hand in both her own and kisses it my dear why of course to-morrow and to-morrow and to-morrow he perceives the imperturbable row of mummers dear me i am sure these gentlemen must be extremely cold and hungry the mummers bow like one man they would probably welcome something a little more animating than uh glancing at the table oranges and er oh, here is the key to the cellar will you prepare it sally and we will follow the children troop out after sally the sound of their footsteps dies away well agatha well charles we have come as i perceive not to crossings but to a dead end mr budge removes his mask throws open his cloak and with his great red-whiskered face surmounted by a coronet of greenery comes forward sir and madam this being christmas and me making so bold mum 
i'm wishful to say a few words about the young lady sir i be mr budge john lifelong butcher of little crossings and what i say is this words if livin's larnin sir why larnin's livin mum happier wiser wiser happier tis so and i do assure ye sir that what with their grace and kindness to me and to mrs budge and to my little polly yonder and with making crossings as gay-like and homely as if poor letty miss susan was to come back into it out of her grave this very why what i says sir is tis so mum and i can say no more overcome he bows wipes the sweat from his brow and retires mr honeyman also undisguising himself and coming forward dismal but smouldering what mr budge have said sir let no man put asunder i be honeyman william melchizedek baker for these two hundred and forty-four years in crossings village chapel goer regular late chairman of the parish council and i never i never mrs honeyman she says to me she says as we blew out the candle this very night that's gone she says what with their economy honeyman and their pleasant ways and their purty looks and their divine showings to our little embly them children is a godsend sir a godsend ma'am to all crossings he also bows and retires aunt agatha faint but pursuing hmm and what may mr haberdasher have to say candlestick maker masked and cloaked and with a resounding thrum on his fiddle strings i'm but a shadow lady here today and gone tomorrow as are we all he sweeps his cloak over his shoulder and the moonlight of the garden swallows him up i don't doubt it a mountebank she adjusts her lorgnette perhaps the gentleman in the er mistletoe has views mr welcome unmasking ah miss wildersham you have tracked me down aunt agatha frigidly i am happy to make your acquaintance mr welcome your views will i am sure be most valuable views views my dear lady it's christmas eve but frankly now those four foolish young things have just sprouted with virtues like briars in the spring if only my dear old friend had been alive to enjoy it all queen victoria's second jubilee was nothing to it and even on that great day crossings had one or two little features of its own and our beloved miss susan was the life and soul the dick bultitude of the ceremonies fireworks the old house was a blaze of flags and candles happier wiser that was her one in her prescription a bee in her bonnet you will say yes a honey-bee and a queen at that wanting kittens miss wildersham as my old friend mrs honeyman was assuring me yesterday wanting kittens may make sober cats you should have been at the polar tea party dear me how lady minch enjoyed it the truth is miss wildersham we are none of us as young as we ought to be sally in doorway everything's ready father and please please thank mr budge he has bought us the most beautiful turkey for a christmas present that ever was dead 
poor thing and oh mr honeyman that enormous plum pudding the basin he won a bild in no basin miss him a copper boy he be exit followed by mr budge and you dear mr welcome those those but i shall only cry charles i insist enough of this tomfoolery you stand there you listen to this sentimental trash i detest this house i detect never mind i will say no more but mark my mr wittersham tragically agatha mark no more it's never too late to bend we were young once brother and sister my dear and now here i seem to have shaken off my old london self like like old clothes it may pass off but won't you uh too hi charles sally impulsively oh aunt agatha if you only knew what a lesson it has been to all of us and the joy of it mr welcome offering his arm allow me miss wildersham mince pies turkey punch tipsy cake snapdragon god rest you merry gentlemen let nothing you dismay aunt agatha stonily broods then slowly draws down her veil thank you mr welcome no never never will i confuse duty with pleasure compromise is anathema to me my principles are my all in fact charles i prefer my old clothes children fairies pooh i was brought up on facts and here i am there is a late train to town i catch that cabman mr widge poking in his tortoise-like head only arf frozen mum the handsome arf aunt agatha calmly an insolent cabman good-bye sarah i must not keep you from the tradespeople she bows frigidly to mr welcome and is escorted by mr widdersham to the cab which presently rolls off to a windy shout from mr widge and a loud crack of his whip as if in echo a sudden freshet of fantastic and menacing music wells up and subsides in the woods mr wittersham in the doorway a victim of many emotions it will be a a, a wrench for us but my sister is bound for a sphere that will more fully engage her remarkable abilities ah as are we all i hope she is to be married in the new year to dr john adolphus dodd gritz the governor of blacktown reformatory there is my dear wildersham a divinity that shapes our their voices die away sally covers anne up with her shawl and kneels a moment beside her chair safe now you blessed blessed thing sally light a fire in mummykin's bedroom my own dear she kisses her hesitates then goes to the open window and gazes out the candlestick maker appears more snow mr candlestick maker i bless and bless every feathery flake and you were actually going without my having said one little single word of thanks for these 
She touches the bunch of snowdrops pinned in her bosom. They are very, very early, you know. Must you go? Oh, Mr. Candlestick Maker, there is a mind in me that wants to listen and listen, and you have told me so much. Must you go? The Candlestick Maker turns his head sidelong, wrapping his cloak round him. Here today and gone tomorrow. Besides, the folk are afoot, and it's a lonely road to crossing station. You mean they might entice away my Mr. Witch, Mr. Candlestick Maker? Aye, the little people have no wasteful love for mortals, not for all mortals. Man can but see the world as he sees it. Theirs is not ours. Sally, wistfully. Mr. Candlestick Maker, could it not be gone tonight and come tomorrow? Just fancy, all these years and years we have known one another, and, and you have never even told me your name. My name? Who needs a name that is a wanderer? It may be if I come again, you will not know me until I am gone again. It is said the fates are my kin, and that maybe if I come again, you will not know me until I am gone again. It is said the fables are my kin, and that my mother was a dreamer, an ancient family, older than Babylon, older than Tyre. It is said that a forebear of mine was wont to sit under the blossoming of the tree of life and to play his bassoon in the Garden of Eden. His name, Mamasella, was... He stoops, kisses her hands, and is gone. Sally stands at the window for a while, staring fixedly after him into the snow-clouded woodlands, hesitates, as if in thought to follow him, glances back at Anne, then hurriedly shuts to the door, and resolutely bolts it. Leaving only two candles burning in the long, narrow room, she runs swiftly across it, pausing in the doorway to look back. Sally, muttering to herself, Not know him? Not know him? She goes out. In the extreme quietude that follows, the ghost silently appears, and gliding across the room, stands solemnly regarding Anne, now fast asleep in her chair. The child stirs, murmuring in her dreams. Anne coming! Anne coming! She raises herself a little, and gazes bemusedly up into the old phantasmal face. Why, I thought... I thought you was a fairy. Curtain End of Act 5 And End of Crossings, a Fairy Play by Walter de la Mare